Hello, and welcome to the Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Jarrett, and I love movies. Today, I will be talking about a really popular movie that took the world by storm several years ago, Inception. Easily the most popular movie I've talked about so far. I'm so excited to dive in. Inception was released in 2010. It was directed by Christopher Nolan, who had just directed another huge hit, The Dark Knight. This movie has an ensemble cast with Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, Elliot Page, Killian Murphy, Michael Caine, and really too many others to mention. This movie is critically acclaimed. It's currently sitting at an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. I remember seeing the trailer for this movie about a year before it came out and just being awestruck. Uh, The image that pops in my head is the part in the movie where the city folds in on itself. It looked just so visually stunning. I wasn't clear what the movie was about, but the trailer gave me enough to get hooked. I knew I had to see it. One of the other things that I remember is the music. Hans Zimmer did a fantastic job. I never usually listen to the score, but the song Time made it to every study playlist I made in college. It always gets me going with the studying. The other movies I've looked at in this podcast, Garden State and High Fidelity, had great soundtracks that use sound from the outside. This one is great because of the score, which is often overlooked in movies. Hans Zimmer did not want to get overlooked on this one. I remember this movie being a bit confusing and complex, and I know that that's being a little too understated with that. I had to watch it a couple times to understand it fully. There's a lot to the movie. A lot of layers, pun intended. The general concept is going into someone's dreams and planting an idea. It's such a cool concept that lent to many different settings uh, with a sort of uncanny valley feeling as they are all intended to be dreamscapes. I remember going from a warehouse to a van in the rain to a snowy mountaintop to a crumbling city. It goes really deep. I also remember the idea being very unique. Most movies nowadays, and even when this movie came out, are just rehashed ideas with a different skin. Or they are an adaptation of a book, or they are an existing IP presented in a different way. The idea behind Inception, I feel, was refreshing. I remember talking to people about this movie and how rare a movie that was a new IP was. I'm not sure if I was overselling it, but I can't really think of anything that came close to that. I didn't talk to people about movies like that before this one. There were a lot of moments that I remember in the movie. I saw it a couple times over the years, so there are plenty that I can remember. I'll only go over a few for now. I remember the hallway scene where they're running around on the walls as it tilts and turns. I saw behind the scenes of that, and it was done practically, which is just so cool. I remember Tom Hardy's famous line, Dream a little bigger, darling, as he pulls out a bazooka and proceeds to blow up an enemy encampment. I remember the flooding room with all the moments of slow motion and the Hans Zimmer score swelling, making it all very, very epic. Uh, One of my favorite scenes was the introduction of the dream world. Elliot Page's character, Ariadne, was being interviewed. 
and she began creating worlds that started the whole paranoia that maybe the real world isn't what we seem because she started using things from her own life. That is where the city folding in on itself is, and it's just just as epic as I remember it in the trailer. Speaking of the paranoia, that is another thing that I remember from this movie. There is a constant tension as to what is real and what is a dream. I know there are a lot of theories out there as, as to how much of the movie was actually a dream, with a popular theory saying that the whole thing was. I The final shot in the movie, I guess I will be giving a spoiler warning a bit early, so here is that warning. The final shot in the movie is the top spinning, faltering just a bit, then a sudden cut to black. We never get the confirmation that we are out of the dream world, so maybe we aren't? When this came out, that concept was mind-blowing. Uh, Inception is far from being the first movie to confuse audiences and not wrap, the, wrap up the ending in a tight little bow, but it sure did it in a fantastic way. I'm not the only one thinking this, as there are still people debating the ending. I saw an article talking about it published in January of 2022. People don't talk about movies 12 years after its release if it's bad. Unless it's really bad. Next up, I will watch the movie. I will take notes and see what I see and report back. I will be talking in detail about the movie, so spoilers ahead. The question I will be trying to answer is, uh, was this movie the best ever, or is it just a guilty pleasure? I will try to be as critical as possible. If you want to watch the movie with me, now would be the time to pause and then come back later. Wow. Wow. Uh, that one was a doozy. I remember the movie making me think, but I had forgotten just how much. There's a lot to dive into here, so let's get started. I will say that a lot of the speculation about what happened in the movie is just that. Speculation. There are so many theories about what happened, and more and more are popping up still. After 12 years, people are still talking about it. So bear with me, because what I say may not be right, but, again, everything is just a theory at this point. Having seen the movie before was a huge benefit this time around. I sort of knew where everything was going, so I was able to pick up on the clues early on. I feel like this is a part of the intrigue of the movie. It invites you to watch it multiple times. You get more out of it every time you watch it. I was able to pay attention to um, a lot of things. Uh, the best example of this was the very first scene where Cobb was meeting the very old Saito. Uh, this scene picks back up near the end of the movie, so I was able to focus in on both those scenes a little bit more. I still have questions, like why was Cobb young and Saito old when Saito came into limbo after Cobb, at, at least I, th I think... Uh, Timing is a major factor in this movie, and I get confused about it a lot, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. After a not-so-quick search, I came up with a couple theories that all seem plausible, which is the crazy thing about this. How can one movie provide so much debate? Is it a flaw or a feature? Two things. I will go deeper, pun intended, with the theories later, so stay tuned, and I feel the answer to the flaw or feature question is that it's definitely a feature in this particular case.
Christopher Nolan, uh, who wrote and directed the movie, is, I mean, he, he's a brilliant filmmaker. He has six movies in the top 100 on IMDb, and I will actually be featuring a few of the movies, a few of his movies on this podcast. His movies are all complex, with Inception not even being the most difficult to follow. I feel like Interstellar takes that crown. A lot of his movies have a time element, time element, uh, time slowing down on different levels of the dream in Inception, time travel in Interstellar and Tenet, uh, Memento being told from the beginning and the end simultaneously while meeting in the middle at some point. I, I feel like he has a thing with time. Uh, more on that later. Another big thing about Christopher Nolan is he is all about the practical effects. For the uninitiated, practical effects are essentially the opposite of special effects. Instead of an explosion, for instance, being generated by a computer, Nolan will use actual explosives to complete the look. I think in this movie he used nitrogen, I believe, or something, I don't know. Uh, but with how advanced computers are, uh, it's a... It's a hard uh, case to make that practical effects look better than special effects, but in this case, they do look better. He is also a, a very big proponent for filming on actual film versus digital. Even though digital cam cameras are becoming the norm, and when this movie was made, it was very popular. Not only that, he... Typically films on expensive IMAX film for a lot of his movies, with the one notable exception being Inception. For comparison's sake, another popular movie in 2010 was The Social Network, directed by another popular director, David Fincher. It was shot on a Red One camera, which was advertised as providing the same resolution as 35mm film. If you want to know more about this, Keanu Reeves starred and produced in a movie about the difference between film and digital filmmaking and digital filmmaking called Side by Side. I don't know yet if I'm going to be doing documentaries on this podcast, but I highly recommend you watch that movie. I mentioned earlier about the spinning top. Watching this again, I forgot that the totem wasn't Cobb's, but Mal's. It, it was presented as his and also as a way to check if you are in reality. Eventually you do learn that it's Miles, but at the very beginning you think it's Cobb's, and that's what I remember. If Cobb is in a dream, it spins indefinitely. It's also stated that you are not to let others touch your totem, which completely defeats the purpose, according to Arthur, that Cobb has Miles' totem. So why does he have her totem? We only see it fall twice, but spin four times. He spins it after his test with Yusuf, but he grabs it before it can fall. He also spins it at the end, as mentioned before, where it cuts to black and we don't see it fall. There are a lot of theories as to why Cobb is using Mal's totem and not his own, which we really don't know. Some have said it was his wedding ring, which we are to believe he wears in his dreams, but not in the real, real world. The prevailing theory is that Mal was right. When she dies in the hotel scene, she is escaping a level in the dream to the dream level above. Cobb is led to believe that she really is dead and uses her totem, which he doesn't really know how it works, other than it spins indefinitely in a dream. He dreams that it falls whenever he believes he's not in a dream. 
again, I, I know people have a lot of theories, and that is just one of them. Time is a huge part of this movie. I mentioned it earlier. I'm bringing it back up again. They talk about how the time moves differently on each level, compounding on the next. The levels they plan to go to are reality, which is 10 hours on the plane. Level 1, the rainy city, which is one week. Level 2, the hotel, which is six months. And then level 4, the uh, snowy compound, 10 years. So it's really three levels of dreams and reality. This goes deeper because they eventually go into limbo, which they talk about lasting decades or even more. Uh, there's even a theory that there are actually four levels of dreaming and then limbo. This is not explicitly explained in the movie, but it does help explain a lot of what happens if you believe that. Uh, bear with me. L let me try to explain. So we have Yusuf's dream, which is the rainy city. Then Arthur dreams the hotel. Then Ames dreams, dreams the snowy fortress. These are the plan levels that they have for the Fisher inception. After Fisher dies, he goes into the crumbling city. Cobb and Ariadne follow him there. The theory is that this is Cobb's dream, populated by things from Limbo that he remembers because he is constructing this quickly. That is why when Fisher and Ariadne fall in this pseudo-limbo, they move up one level to the snowy fortress because they experience a kick. This also helps to explain why Saito is so old in limbo and Cobb is not because Cobb dies a lot later than Saito. Again, we are led to believe that the crumbling city and Saito's fortress are both limbo in the end, but I like to believe that... The crumbling city is Cobb's dream, and Saito's fortress is uh, actually Limbo. Um, this assumption is that everything else is a dream level. Uh, my, my brain hurts just thinking about this. Uh, and I was going to talk about how I benefited from seeing this movie before. I feel like I was able to see things I didn't see before, which was true. However, I feel like the more you think about this movie, the more confused you get. There's a lot going on, and it is meant to make you think. There's no clear-cut explanation. Nolan flat-out tells us this by having the final scene being ambiguous. He meant it that way. Uh, we never know what happens with the spinning top. Does it fall? Does it spin indefinitely? We don't have an in-movie answer. We do have a possible answer outside of the movie. Michael Caine has said that Nolan told him that when he is in the movie, we are not dreaming. That would mean that the end scene is not a dream, and Cobb finally got what he wanted. He was able to see his kids finally. We, as the audience, do too, as we always saw them before... Uh, as they were the last time Cobb saw them when he was running from the law, and he saw them from, a f from behind, from afar, which is, as he said, his greatest regret. I feel like I can watch the movie again and find even more. I had to limit myself with the theories, because there are a lot of them. And people do not make theories light. They are heavy and detailed, but they are super fun to read. On that note, I thought it might be fun to go over some of the theories that I'd liked. I will not be going into detail, but just scratching the surface. 
also, uh, most of these come from Reddit. Uh, there's a treasure trove of theories on there, and they keep popping up all the time. On the ending, uh, there's a theory that I remember being very prevalent. Cobb wasn't dreaming because he was wearing his wedding ring. That's a pretty simple theory. Uh, then there's the theory that he's not dreaming because he goes through customs, which is hilarious. Uh, that theory is um, means that customs shows how he got to America, which harkens back to something Cobb mentioned earlier, that you never know how you got somewhere in a dream. You just show up. Regarding the token, uh, Reddit user Dick Waffler suggests an answer to why Cobb uses Mal's token. They say that he assumes he is dreaming and attempts to affect the top. If it falls, despite his attempts, he is not dreaming. That's a really elegant solution. Cobb also says he doesn't stay to watch the top because he doesn't care what the result was, dreaming of reality. The part, this part is confirmed by Nolan himself. From Reddit user Gibby Gib, uh, wait, sorry, Gibby Gibson USC comes another theory that Cobb is the actual target. He is stuck in a dream, and the others are entering his dream to convince him to come out. He has to convince himself that he is dreaming in order to come out, hence the inception. Maybe he felt trapped by what he did to Mao, so that's why the Fisher inception is so closely related to family. Interesting. Another theory uh, proposed by Reddit user BigPig1054, all these theories, uh, is that all these theories that people are coming up with are true. The story is meant to be convoluted, and it's not meant to be one linear story. Everything is correct, and nothing is correct, just like in dreams. It's in the name. These are all theories. Some have been confirmed, at least in part, but per Nolan's design, there is no one-size-fits-all narrative to explain everything. I love that. It makes it so people are coming up with theories 12 years later. The last thing I'll touch on is the visuals. This movie still looks good. You can make an argument that is due to Nolan's almost stubborn way of insisting on using film. This movie didn't use IMAX film, but it used a combination of 35mm and 65mm. The 35mm is equivalent to the Red 1 cameras that were being used at the time. Film has shown to stand the test of time. Movies from a long time ago still look good. There are only about 500 special effects, which is unusual for a movie of this size. That's really not a lot. One that I saw that doesn't actually look great was the exploding stall scene. This was a mix of practical effects and special effects. It looked a little cheap. But the other major scenes that are special effects hold up really well. Uh, Paris folding in on itself, which is the scene that I remember being as epic as it was, is still very epic. Uh, Ariadne creating her dream world and the limbo city at the end. They all look fantastic. Next time, we'll be back with another movie from my past. Until then, watch more movies. This has been Best Ever or Guilty Pleasure, and I've been Jared. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It helps get this podcast seen. It really does help. Until the next one, watch more movies. Watch more movies.